and welcome to the Bikers Church Midrand Podcast. It's great to have you join us for this week's episode. We hope that you find this valuable for your daily life. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. We are two weeks into our series called We Are the church, where we've been asking some very, very important questions to ourselves as the church of Jesus. Uh, The first thing we asked is, what is church? Now, we figured out that it is not a building. It is not a location. It is people. It's people like you and people like me that make up the church, the body, the called out ones of Christ. And then we asked ourselves, well, What is Christian? And we found that it's this broad term that is very, very ill-defined. And it's not at all what Jesus called his followers. In fact, he called his followers disciples, which is a very, very narrow term and a very, very defined term. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So with that in mind, what are we known for? What is the church known for? If we are the church, what have we become known for? It's a tough question because last week we looked at at a definition that's, man, it's a tough definition. It's a definition that says Christians are judgmental, homophobic moralists who think that they're the only ones who's going to heaven and, and who secretly Man, they're actually quite impressed that in their estimation, they're the only ones making it. And so that is a terrible thing to be known for. And, and, and you're sitting at home, and I'm, I'm convinced that some of you are saying, well, that's why I don't associate as one. That's why I don't want to be one. That's why I don't go to church. And so we've missed what Jesus told us to be known for to be known by our love for one another. Question is, where did we go wrong? Where did we miss Jesus in all of this? Matthew 28, uh, we read that Jesus gives the church a job to do. He write, Matthew writes, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Those first disciples took their job very, very seriously, and they did a fantastic job of it. They went and and they made it their mission to cause others to start following Christ. And they did this by loving one another. They did it so effectively that in only 300 years, they had reached just about everywhere that the world was known by that stage. Even the emperors, even the Roman emperors at that stage, decided to adopt Christianity as their religion of choice. But it seems that something there went wrong. Unfortunately, When the gospel reached Rome and the gospel reached the emperors, it became popular to be called a Christian. And then Christians started leveraging something other than love 
for the first time. And the message started getting muddled. Because for the first time, power and politics started being leveraged rather than love. And you see, any time that the church leverages anything other than love, we lose. We go backwards in our influence. And we lose the very people that we were looking to win. We lose influence, we lose credibility, we lose respect, we lose the people that we were looking to win. Because we were supposed to be known by our love for one another, not by the power that we have or the authority that we bring. You see, the church started to impose its values or Jesus' values on people. Uh, to impose rather than to love into a place of. And, and the problem is when we impose the values, the teachings, the worldview of Jesus, we start threatening with judgment and we start threatening with destruction when people don't obey Jesus. And if we look back at what Jesus told us to do, not for a moment was that what he told us to do. And so fast forward to today, and fast forward to all of our experiences, I grew up in a little town where I saw Christians as those people who's always wagging their fingers at you, always telling you how bad you are, and always telling you that you'll never amount to anything. And they have the power, and they have the authority, and they are better and smarter than you, and their kids, well, their kids are going to be more powerful, more influential, and they're going to be somebody's. And, and, and you, well, you're just going to be you. This first church, well, man, they didn't do it that way. No, this first church took the message of Jesus and they understood that the only way to win the world was to love one another and to allow the outside to look into the church, to look into the called out ones and go, man, that's different. I, I, I want to find out more about that. That's attractive. I need to be a part of whatever that is. And all this is because Jesus told us what to do. John 13, 35, once again, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So as the first church modeled this, as the first church lived this through the greatest persecution, they spread this message of love everywhere. And Paul was an apostle in this, in this new, young, fledgling church. And he did a fantastic job. So he had such a passion to take this message, message out to the world. Actually, God laid it on his heart to take this message to, to the people who weren't Jews, who, who didn't think that they needed Jesus, who had religions of their own, had worldviews of their own, and they weren't looking for a new one. So that he was, he was aiming at a tough crowd. But he was so passionate about this that he said the following in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He writes, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul's saying that he didn't power up. He, 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 he doesn't leverage his authority he, he doesn't leverage anything but love. And he serves his 
people wherever he goes. He goes on to say, to the Jews, I was like a Jew. To the non-Jews, I was like a non-Jew. To the non-believers, I was to those who didn't have the law, I lived like one who didn't have the law. To the weak, I became weak. He says that to find common ground with everyone was my goal so that I could cause them to become followers of Christ. Now, I love the word that he uses here. He says, to win as many as possible. How do you win someone? Well, you don't win somebody by imposing anything on them. You don't win somebody by threatening them with judgment and destruction. No, you win someone by showing them that what you have is the best, that what you have is worth fighting for, is worth striving after. Is, is, that's the thing that they have been looking for all their lives. That's how we win someone. So Paul is saying he will do whatever it takes to get somebody who is far from God to look into his community, to look into the way that he loves others and to see that that's what they need. That's what they've been missing. To draw them into a relationship with their creator because that's where life is lived out best. Paul says that he'll do anything in his power to leverage love, not threats, not authority, not, not power, not judgment. No, love at all times. Now, as the church, we say that we are the church. How do we get back there? Now, I ask this because as followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus, this message, this, this, this good news message of Jesus has the power to, to change our marriages. Marriages can be restored. Relationships can be rebuilt. Families can be repaired. We believe that you can have peace with God. We believe that habits can be broken. We believe that God wants to be and have an active part in your profession. God wants an active part in your finances and help you to do it better. We believe that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you are missing out on the most fulfilling relationship that you could ever have. And we are missing out on giving this message to people because we are not known for our love for one another. No, we are known for leveraging power and leveraging authority and being judgmental. And that is a big problem. Now, Paul writes to a church that he started in Corinth. Corinth is this port city, this sensual city, this immoral city, this pagan city. And, and, and Paul started a, a small church there. And he keeps writing them letters to encourage them, to, to tell them how to live out their faith in a tough place like this. So in one of the letters that he writes, uh, 1 Corinthians, from chap uh, chapter 5, we'll read a little bit from there. And he's, he writes this to them. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. Now, wait a second. So I'm starting this by telling you that this little church is struggling, struggling with sexual immorality in their ranks. Uh, yeah, I am. And, and, and 
what Paul is introducing here is that there's, there's two sets of, uh, of values. There's, there's, there's a, a Jesus follower type of value, type of morality, and then there's a rest of the world type of value, type of morality. Everybody has standards. The Romans had standards, the, the Greeks had standards, and, and the Jesus followers, the disciples had standards. But what Paul's saying here is that, hey, something's happening in this church, guys. Like, people gave me a report that, like, what's happening in the church, like, this is by nobody's, nobody thinks that this is okay. This is weird. In fact, this is gross. He continues to say this. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud. He's like, Corinthians, um, what are you doing? How can you, be a, be, how can you be a proud people when this is happening? Now, l- let me put some context to that. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. It doesn't seem like he's sleeping with his mom, all right? Uh, it does seem that his father had more than one wife at different times, and he's, he just decided to start a relationship with one of his father's ex-wives, but Nobody thinks that's okay. By nobody's standards, is this okay? Now, this wasn't a big church. This was a small community that Paul started. In fact, all of these churches met in people's homes. So it wasn't like you could hide this. It's not like you could, it was a big church like we have today, where you can slip in the back and nobody will know. (laughs) No, no, no. You see, when everybody got together and they were having their tea and their cake, there was this awkward silence, this awkward tension where, where everybody went, somebody should say something. We need to do something about this. And nobody was doing anything. Paul continues and he says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who is doing this? You see, this wasn't a once-off thing. It, it wasn't that mistakes were made and, and, and mistakes were fixed and, and now we're going on. No, no, no. no this is like an ongoing relationship. And, and, and the church are not only allowing it to go on. In fact, they're, they're proud of the way they, they have accepted these people into their ranks. And Paul's going, no, that's not okay. Somebody should have done something. Somebody should have said something. In fact, I think you should have kicked him out. That's why he continues. He says, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, because he's writing this from afar, I am with you in spirit as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who is doing this. Now, wait just a second. We have to stop Paul here and go, but the church, the church doesn't judge. Isn't there a verse in the Bible that says, do not judge, to which Paul and, well, all of us should, should actually be saying, no, no, there is, there is not a verse that says we shouldn't judge. In fact, the Bible teaches us and Jesus teaches us very explicitly who to judge and how to judge them in a way that the world will know our love for one another, allowing them back in in a way that everybody sees our love for one 
another. So Paul is saying, and, and in fact Paul states that in the name of our Lord Jesus, uh, by the greatest authority that I could ever have, I am judging this guy and I'm telling you, kick him out. All right? Why does Paul get to pass judgment on this guy? Well, remember we said that there's two sets of values. There is the values that the world has and there is the values that you subscribe to when you become a Jesus follower. And, and this guy had subscribed to the values of the Jesus followers. He said, I want to be a disciple. I want to be an insider. I want to know Jesus better. I want to live the way that he says life is, do is done best. And now he's doing something that goes against those standards. In fact, it goes against all the standards. And nobody's doing anything. So Paul continues to instruct the church to, to say, hey, kick this guy out of your ranks. In fact, he uses quite an interesting analogy. At one stage he says, hand him over to Satan. Give, him, give custody of him to Satan, which is, I mean, that's, that's quite rough. All right. And, and, and taken out of context, we can, uh, we can really get it wrong here. But what he's saying is, church, go to the man and say to him, hey, you can do whatever you like to do. You just can't do it here. Here, we live by a certain set of standards. Here, we live by a certain set of values. If you let us help you to do that. But if you don't, we won't. You see, it, it, it touches another important concept. The concept of cause and effect. Sin has consequences. Every sin actually has a death. Paul knew this. Uh, we as the church know this. And, and in fact, you don't need to be a Jesus follower. You don't need to be a Jesus person to know this, to understand this. You see, at some stage, you started to do something that was fun. And then it became a habit. And now it's an addiction. You see, anything that we, that we do that we're not supposed to do has a cost, has a consequence. You started that relationship. And you know that it wasn't a great relationship to start. But um, you wanted to have fun. And it was fun. And it was fun. And it was kind of fun. And it was okay. And then it was bad. And now it's very bad. You see, every sin has a consequence. Every sin has a death. Everything that we do that we know we shouldn't be doing will demand payment at the worst of times. And that payment is always, that, that cost is always much greater than what we initially anticipated. In fact, that cost is always much greater than what we could ever afford. So what Paul is communicating here is he's saying, allow this man to, to, to feel the full consequence, the full weight, the full cost of his sin, of his damage that he's doing to himself, to his family, to everybody around him. And allow him to walk right into that. And when he feels the full weight, he will quickly realize that that is not what he was looking for. And he will be allowed an opportunity to turn around, to go the other direction. And then church, stand ready to welcome him back and to be known by your love for one 
another. You see, this isn't, this isn't to, to cast him out to hell. This isn't to banish him forever out of the community. No. No, this is to allow him the shortest way back out of his mess. Because let's be honest, we are the church, but we've all been beaten up by sin at some stage. And allowing somebody right into their sin that they have chosen for themselves to get a little beaten up and to turn around and come back and, and hang out with all us black and blue sinners who are in the church and just trying to live by the standard that Jesus has set for us. Because we believe that that is the way that life is lived best. That is the way that we can love one another best. Paul continues. He says, I wrote to you in, a, in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world, the people outside of the Jesus community who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Paul's saying, don't avoid people outside of the Jesus community who don't subscribe to your set of standards. Uh, where would you possibly buy food? How, where would you work? How, where would your kids go to school? It's impossible. You would have to remove yourself from this world to be able to do that. He says, I wrote to you in a letter and you might have misunderstood it. That's not what I meant. What I am saying, Paul, is, Paul goes on to say, but I'm now writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, in other words, a believer, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. People, people are saying, Paul is saying that we should not be judging the people outside. No, no, no. Now, the people inside the church, look at the way that they live. Judge them by the standard that they have subscribed to and see if they're making it. And if they're not making it, go and speak to them. In other words, Paul is saying to us, that person in your small group, that person in your life group, are you seeing that they're living in the wrong direction? Love them enough to help them out, to come alongside them and go, friend, I also struggle. Let's walk this road together. Let me love you into a place where you can have victory over whatever ever might be bothering you. You see, this is why church is done well or done best in community. This is why discipling is done well and done best in community. Because then we can come alongside each other and help each other and love each other to live according to the standards, the values that Jesus has set for us. Paul continues, and this is where the church has been getting it very wrong for very long. And this is where we've got a bad rap and the wrong reputation. He says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Church? What business is it of yours and of mine to judge those outside the church? To judge people who, who don't subscribe to our set of values. And that's where we've been getting it wrong. That's where we've been leveraging something other than love. 
That's where we've been trying to, to leverage authority and leverage power and, and th starting to threaten people and, and starting to say that they're going to go to distress. That's not our job. Our job is to police the insiders. And, and police is a strong word, but it's actually to love the insiders in such a way that we come alongside them and we help each other to live up to the values that Jesus has set for us. Because we believe that that is the way that life is experienced best. So this is not referring to the law of the land. That's a completely different uh, story. It's a completely different conversation. No, this is referring to the way that we live our lives as Christians. This is referring to the way that we do business, the, the way that we bring up our kids, the way that we value family, the way that we view ethics. You see, that's where the church have been getting it wrong. And Paul is simply saying, don't expect non-Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. But please do expect the Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. And I think that's a fair point. You see, this is just where we've been losing folks because it's none of our business to judge those outside, but it's all of our business to judge and love those inside. Now, Paul says this last thing. He says, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those on the outside. Now, this word judge has been getting kind of a bad reputation. And it is as simple as in a household, in a good household, there are rules. And to keep the rules, a certain amount of judgment has to happen. And if the kids break the rules, the judge will appear in the form of a parent, a mom or a dad, or maybe both parents. And they will judge the behavior of this child. And then they will help the child to do things better in the future. And that's how a good household works. We keep each other accountable. We are judged by the standards of the household. That makes for better kids. It makes for good parents. It makes for great spouses. <laughs> it makes for fantastic marriages. It makes for a peaceful, loving, kind environment in the house. May that be what our churches are known for. May that be what the Jesus community is known for. So Paul is not talking about some fault-finding mission. Somebody standing around going, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. No, no, he's, he's saying allow people growth, but come alongside them so that they can grow together. Now, if we live this way, when we keep each other, believers, accountable, then we get to influence the non-believers, the rest of the world. We get to draw them in. We get to get them close to understanding what being a Jesus follower is like. And they get to peer in and they get to judge us and go, I only know them because of their love for one another. And that's when the church wins. Because that's when we leverage the love that Jesus told us to love with. This morning, what is your next steps? 
I think as Christians, as Jesus followers, it is time for us to realize that we are to judge the behavior of the insider, the church, the, the, the people who've come alongside us and said, I subscribe to this set of values and I want to live according to them. And we'll do a good job to come alongside each other and love each other so that we can live up to those values that Jesus has set for us. We will do well if we open up our lives to people who love us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. As the church, we will do a fantastic job to do that because that allows us to live up to God's glorious standard. Now, as a non-Jesus follower, if you're sitting there at home and, you, and you're still watching, thank you for watching. Um, uh, as a representative of the church, I want to say sorry. I want to apologize if, if we've judged you, if we've treated you in a way that is contrary to the way Jesus taught us to deal with you. But this morning, I want to ask you, don't let that put you off. As Christians, we're frail, we're broken. Hey, we're often immature. Don't let that put you off from Jesus. Don't let that put you off from whatever attracted you to looking into who Jesus is and what he is like. Allow him to draw you in to relationship. And may you become one of us broken, beat up sinners who's just realized that we are in need of a savior. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you that we get to be here this morning. Lord, that we get to be honest about our mistakes, about our frailties. Lord, we've come to realize that we have not done church the way that you have intended it for us to be, Lord. Lord, I ask wisdom. I ask courage. Lord, I ask that you help us to be known by our love for one another. Lord, not to lord it over anybody, not to leverage power or authority, Father God, but to love one another in a way that glorifies and exemplifies you, Lord. Lord, help us to live out this forgiveness that we have received on a daily basis, that we might become the light of the world that you told us to be, Lord. That we are a city shining on a hill that draws men unto you, Father God. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, may I send you out and say, be known for your love, your love for one another. Please don't judge anybody who doesn't subscribe to the same set of standards that you do. And never ever abandon your primary influence called love. May you have a fantastic week and thank you for joining us this morning. We trust that you found this message valuable. For more information on who we are or how you can get involved, please check out our website at bikerschurchmidrand.co.za or connect with us through social media on Facebook or Instagram. Beyond that, have a great day.